Good morning. Let's come together, find our seats as we um, explore Acts 17 this morning. We sang one of the songs this morning that um, was talking about um, the cost of Christ and, and the cost of following Christ and, and doing His work. And, and this morning as we, we think through our text, we, we, we want to think of counting the cost. And, and again, we, that, that can apply to almost any text with Paul and any town he goes into, as we'll see. But I, I was thinking of counting the cost, especially we just had two of our mission interns up here. And, and we may think, oh, that's not really counting the cost, but I know the work they've been putting into that. But also giving up a half of your summer to go to a place that you don't know. And it's not just a vacation. I, I know that both of those families are going to work them. Um, I, I hope they know that. They're going to have just a, um, a lot of ministry opportunities that are going to stretch them in incredible ways. And that's part of their counting the cost. As we think of who we share the gospel with, as we did the Titus initiative, as we have our one that we're praying for, we have to count the cost and be part of that. Um, this morning, we also think of Memorial Day. And um, tomorrow, we, we celebrate Memorial Day. And that is all about honoring those that have counted the cost for our freedom, that have counted the cost um, to defend us and to defend family and country. And so we... we we, we understand counting the cost, but this morning is a call to, to again remember that and count the cost. And we'll look at two different towns, two different cities that Paul goes to, and we'll see the first one we'll talk about counting the cost and our sharing the gospel. How can we improve our share is, is how I'm wording that in, in point number one. How can we improve our share? How can we count the cost and, and follow Paul's example? And then when we get to Bria, we want to talk about how do we count the cost to receive the Word of God? How do we improve our receiving? So we'll talk about improving our sharing today and improving our receiving today as we look at these two different opportunities. Because if we're honest, we don't always come to sharing the Gospel with a lot of eagerness and a lot of excitement and a lot of energy. And we don't always come to receiving a, a teaching of the Word with a lot of eagerness and energy. Some Sundays we're tired. Anyone tired this morning? Yeah. Some Sundays we have a lot of other things on our mind. And, and, and we haven't even gotten ready to, to hear the Word. Some Sundays all kinds of things may have happened at home on the way here, especially those of you with littles. And that's hard. And it's distracting. But we want to talk about how can we improve the reception of God's Word and how we receive it. And so today... We're going to look at Thessalonica and we're look, going to look at Berea and see what God has for us there. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 15 today. So just a short little section. So we'll be done in an hour or two. <laughs> um, as my Philippians class knows. Um, but it, we want to, to study what God has for us out of these towns. As we get to this part of Acts and we see some of the same patterns over and over, I am reminded that the Holy Spirit directed all of these stories to be in His Word. And so as we study them, even if it may feel familiar and, and feel like, oh, well, that's what happened in the last town, which I'm, I, yeah. The Holy Spirit has it in there for us to keep remembering and keep learning and keep receiving God's truth. So Acts 17, 1 through 15, We'll start with verses 1 through 9, and this is improving our share. 
improving your share? How do we share better? How do we, we share the gospel and share the word of God in ways that are pleasing to Christ? And so we start at verse 1. Now when they had pass, passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And so right from the start, if you remember, where were we last week? Philippi, right? Prison in Philippi and, and the directed earthquake that was really cool. So if we look on a map, now we're moving on from Philippi because he had to leave there. And if we look on the map, I know it's a little little small. We see last week we were up in Philippi. So we started over here, did the overland route, and then we got to Philippi. Now he's going to pass through Amphipolis. Amphipolis, that word, thank you. (laughs) And he's going to end up in Thessalonica over here, about a 100 miles between there. And Thessalonica was a town, and if you go back and and do the introduction to our our series on Thessalonians, it was a, a major town, capital of Macedonia at the time. And remember, they wanted to go other places, but God directed them to Macedonia. Um, it was on the Via Ignatia, the main road from Rome to the east. And so this was a significant place to be. It was also a seaport. So you had the overland trade routes and you had all the, the sea trade coming in. This was either the largest city in Macedonia or the second largest city. Depending on who you read, there's a, a, you know, another city that's close in numbers. But we can just say it's an important city. It was a free city, which means it was, it was under Roman influence and, and part of the Roman Empire, but they had, had acted in a way to gain their freedom to be self-governing. And so this was a key city, maybe one of the key cities in Macedonia that God directed Paul and Silas to go to. And so they come to the city, and the first thing we see in verse 1 is there's a synagogue of the Jews. Luke is telling us, by the way, there's a Jewish population there too. Large enough to have a synagogue and a, a, a well-attended synagogue. In, in uncovering different archaeological digs, they also have found a Samaritan synagogue there. So there was a, um, just a lot of cultural diversity in this town. And so we get to, to verse 2, and it says, And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from Scripture. And again, like we've talked about, his pattern was he'd go into a town. If there was a synagogue, he would start teaching there for a couple reasons. One of them was to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so there's an ordering there that he honors wherever he goes. The other is, if you're going into a new town, he always is looking for a group that is already familiar with the scriptures that he can begin reasoning with. The synagogues also would have attracted the God-fearing Gentiles. And so he starts with those places where there are God-fearing people that don't know the gospel, that don't know about Jesus. Okay, so they're, they're, they know the Old Testament. They, they know about God. They're interested in God. So he goes where there's interest. He goes where people need to hear and are willing to hear. And so he went into the synagogue and it says he was there three Sabbath days. And he's not saying that he was only in Thessalonica for three weeks, but he was only allowed in the synagogue for three weeks. Um, he continued his ministry there probably, we think, about two months and um, before things went south on him. 
But we get to, to number one as we look at improving our share and the skills of improving our share. Um, and letter A is practice the skills of discussion, explanation, and presenting evidence. And this is just a real practical point. How do you share the gospel? How do you get better at sharing the gospel? How do you teach someone the word of God? Disciple someone. Practice skills of discussion, explanation, and presenting evidence. Catch this at the end of 2 and into verse 3. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ, or is the Anointed One, the Messiah, is, is how they would have interpreted that. And you see three skills that Paul used. And these, I I think, build on each other. And this is just a a practical way to look at his example and say, okay, how can we do better at this? The first one in the end of verse 2, it says he reasoned with them. And the word for reasoned used there is he dialogued with them. He had a conversation. He asked good questions. And so one of the skills, if we're to reach people for the gospel, we've got to learn to to ask good questions to be listeners, to enter into conversation. Because if we go to someone and, and maybe we've built a good friendship with them and, and we've built a relationship with them and we're, it's finally time where we're going to share the gospel and, and hopefully our approach is a little different from that anyway and it's just sort of integrated into everything we do. But maybe we think it's finally time to, sh- to share the gospel and we pull out the four spiritual laws and I have nothing against that but, but catch where I'm going with this. And for the next 20 minutes, we just tell them a speech about the gospel. Do they feel like they're in relationship with us at that point? Is that how we talk with friends? Is that how we help someone know something we're excited about? No, we we have a discussion. And that's the word that Luke uses about how Paul did ministry. He started by reasoning with them about the scriptures. Maybe asking a question. Hey, what do you think Moses meant when he said this? Hey, what do you think Isaiah meant when he, when he wrote Isaiah 53? I think that was probably one of the key passages he used. Um, and he would ask questions and start to draw them out. And then the next thing he does in verse 3 is he explains. So he reasoned and he explained. And the, the word there means to open up a truth. To, to just say, this is what that means. This is the truth of that. And so we, we see being able to enter dialogue. We see then being competent enough to open up truth and explain what it means. Some of the verses, they may say, I, I don't know what that means. I, when I, we're going to read Isaiah 53 in a moment. They may say, okay, what does it mean he was bruised for our transgressions? And then out of that conversation, you have the skill of being able to explain something. That makes sense? And so this isn't just a, a great speech that Paul is doing. This is an interaction of how to share the gospel. This is just beautiful points for us. And the last thing it says, and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. And and the idea there is to set evidence in front of someone, is what that word means. And as we're sharing the gospel, as we're in conversations about the Word of God, as we open up truth to them, then... It is helpful if we are competent enough to know some of the objections or to know some of the reasons. To know things like, well, why do we believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And we talked about some of those things this last Easter, but to know some of those points so, so we can answer, well, 
that there, there was an empty tomb, but historically, we know that Jesus appeared alive after this. We know that the Romans killed him and, and that they, they put guards on the tomb and they sealed the tomb. And we know all of this happened. And so the only logical thing that, that, that we see in Scripture is that he rose from the dead. And we can go on and on about all kinds of things. In this case, Paul knows the Old Testament and he gives them evidence to say, no, no, the Old Testament said the Messiah had to die. The Old Testament said he would rise again. So we shouldn't be that surprised because that's what Jesus did. And so he's giving evidence. He's proving Jesus is the Messiah. And so the skills we see Paul using as, as, as he's sharing the gospel, and I think these help us improve the way we share, is the skill of discussion, the skill of explanation, the skill of presenting evidence. I wanted to stop for a moment and just read Isaiah 53 for you. I'll, I'll read it. You can turn there if you want. Um, but as we, as we look at the Old Testament, if there was a text that we were using to prove the Messiah had to die and, the, and that the Messiah would rise from the dead, this would be it. And um, to the point, if you remember when we studied Isaiah, to the point that even now, different synagogues and, and different um, teachings of Judaism will skip this chapter in Isaiah because it's just too obvious. And so Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs. And it's talking about the suffering servant. The Messiah is, is what this is um, talking about. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed, esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Now Paul could easily go to that and say, okay, what, what, what does it sound like Isaiah is saying in those words? What does it mean to be cut off from the land of the living? Uh, that sounds like someone dies. And, and, and so Paul could then take this and, and prove this. So he, he's, he's proving that Jesus is the Messiah and the Messiah had to die. And he goes back and shows the evidence of their own Scripture, our Scripture, but, but the Old Testament that they had, the Scripture they had, and shows them the Messiah had to die. I know you think he's the conquering hero, but this is what Isaiah said. And then I could see him skipping to verse 9 or, or continue reading I guess it's the next verse, verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Well, that's, that's pretty, pretty cool. Joseph of Arimathea. And although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. And so, again, Paul could go to this and say, okay, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, when Jesus, when the, he would say the Messiah, when the Messiah has made an offering for guilt, when he has paid for sins, then it says that, the, that he will see his offspring. He, he will, to, to see your offspring, that is still, you have to be alive. He shall prolong his days. He will give him more days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And so Paul could easily have gone to a text like this 
and say, Jesus, the Messiah had to die for our sins because he bore our sins on himself. And as he died, he paid the penalty we were supposed to pay. Amen? But then it says, when that penalty is fully paid, when our sins are taken care of, when forgiveness has been bought for every one of us that believe in Jesus Christ, then God will prolong his days. He'll bring him to life. And so Paul masterfully... Now, now I don't know if Paul went to this text. I think so. Maybe. This would be a good one. And so Paul was showing us skills of discussion, skills of explanation, and then here, skills of presenting evidence. This is what he would do in the synagogue. Now, like I said, this lasted three weeks. And then he was no longer invited to speak in the synagogue. And we're going to see what else happened in town. Verse 4 and 5. We get to the, the next point of improving our share and how we share the gospel. We need to remember that the response to the gospel is ultimately not up to us. People's response to the gospel is ultimately not up to us. Let's read 4 and 5. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. Now, now the wording there, especially when we compare it to the next two groups, some of the Jews followed him. A few. He didn't convince everyone. He, Paul is a forceful orator. He couldn't convince everyone. And so some of the Jews came. And it goes on to say, um, as did a great many of the devout Greeks. And so you see the contrast there? Some of the Jews, a great many, a whole bunch of the devout Greeks, the Gentiles that were God-fearers, and not a few of the leading women. And he uses a figure of speech to say, a whole bunch of the leading women of town. Those that, um, they would have been more in the, the upper class and the, the um, ones that were running businesses and doing a lot of commerce. For whatever reason, the groups that came were a few Jews the God-fearing Gentiles, a whole bunch of them, and a lot of the, the leading ladies of the town. Now, as I read that, I'm like, why didn't more Jews come? Why didn't other groups come? What, what's mentioned here? And, and I think one of the lessons here is that God brings the harvest. We're to be faithful and share the gospel like Paul did, but ultimately who responds is not up to us. For someone to respond to the gospel, what has to be happening in their heart? The Holy Spirit has to be working. The Holy Spirit has to be convicting and drawing them to Himself. And so for whatever reason, whatever was happening in this town, this was the group that came. There's a weak response with some of the Jews, a good response with the the Gentiles and leading women. And we're going to see in verse 5, there's also a group that there's a bad response from. And, and I think this is an important concept. And why it's important to me is sometimes we can get, and I can get into the trap of, if I just shared the gospel better, they would have, they would have been saved. If I just would have been this, they would have responded. But, and, and we should try to be excellent. That's the first point of improving our skills. But in the end, we obey and we trust God for the results. It is not our incredible awesomeness and how we share that is the key to people coming to Christ. I think you could argue we can be a detriment to that if our lifestyle is hypocritical and, 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 and we really don't speak truth. But ultimately, 
It's not the perfect speech. It's not the perfect track. It's not the perfect environment, the perfect segue. I think we put too much pressure on ourselves. And we just need to tell people how Jesus has saved us and forgiven us and changed us and invite them into that. And trust that the Holy Spirit is going to convict those that the Holy Spirit will convict. Then in verse 5, we get another response. But the Jews were jealous. And this now is, is part of that group that didn't respond. And um, they, they were jealous. We've seen that elsewhere in Acts. Probably jealous of the, the popularity. Probably if the leading women are coming over to the church, there probably was a financial loss to, to some of these people. And so the Jews are jealous. Taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, those that were idle in the, in the um, town square that had nothing to do, they grabbed those, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Now, there's a lot going on here. And, and sound familiar? This happens to Paul everywhere he goes, right? I can just picture, again, away from the Bible, my own conjecture, I can picture Timothy and Silas, they're going into town, and, and they're behind Paul a little bit. They're saying, how long do you think he's going to last in a God? I give him three weeks. Oh, I give him four. You know, I have a little pool, office pool going. Um, so do you think he's going to be stoned in this town or thrown in prison or just false charges? And because and, this happens over and over because Paul is preaching truth and the, the church is advancing and Satan will always fight the church advancing. Always. And so they come and this is the same song again, wash, rinse and repeat. But it's because they were faithful. These Jews went to the mob. They got everyone worked up. Then they go and they attack the house where they were staying, probably trying to pull them out. House of Jason, probably one of the, one of the converts. And, um, and so they go there. It's sort of fun because Jason is the, the Greek equivalent for the Hebrew name Joshua or Jeshua or Jesus. So th- that Yahweh saves and, and that God saves. And so um, they go to this house and they're not there. Paul and Silas aren't there. But they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them to the crowd. It's interesting. Paul, as he wrote to, First Thess- to the Thessalonians, this town in First Thessalonians 2 says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And we know that there was conflict. We go on to verse 6 through 9 and let her see under improving our share and sharing wells to stand with and support each other in the gospel, even at personal cost. Just counting the cost again. Stand with and support each other in the gospel, even at personal cost. 6 through 9. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And and so understand what happens. They try to get Paul and Silas. They're frustrated. They're not there. And it looks as if Jason was not only housing Paul and and, and Silas, but also it looks like the early church started meeting in the house because there's other believers there. And that they would have been coming to hear Paul's teaching. And so that would have been very normal and very, very natural. And they're like, well, we can't get them. Let's pull the owner of the house out the accomplice, the enabler. And Jason's probably thinking, I just accepted Christ. 
I just started following Jesus. Why me? I don't know if he was thinking that. But the point was, is he counted the cost with Paul and Silas for the gospel. And so they make this accusation, these men who have turned the world upside down or that are causing problems all over the world, probably Paul's reputation had preceded him, causing trouble everywhere, they've come here also. And Jason, this man, this evil man, he has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another King Jesus. We have to understand at this point in time, Rome is struggling with some of the Jews from from some of the insurrection from other groups of Jews. And so here there's a sensitivity to that and they choose a charge that they think will stick. Let's choose something that, yeah, the magistrates will really respond to. They don't like Caesar. They're declaring another king Caesar. Now, that charge actually isn't that far-fetched, right? When you think of the message, they're saying there's a Messiah. There's another anointed one. They call Jesus Lord. They talk about the advance of the kingdom. And so certainly those that are opposed could have twisted those concepts and said, oh, those are are real concerns rather than a, a spiritual sense in which they were using them. But they... They came and they made these charges of insurrection. Jason is, is dragged into it as well because one of the oaths that they found at a time is you, you swear an oath to the Caesar. You swear an oath to honor him, to not have any other leader. An example of one that they found is, I swear that I will support Caesar Augustus, his children and descendants, throughout my life in word, deed, and thought that in whatsoever concerns them, I will spare neither body nor soul, nor life nor children, that whenever I see or hear of anything being said, planned, or done against them, I will report it. And whomsoever they regard as enemies, I will attack and pursue with arms and the sword by land and sea. So that's actual inscriptions that they found of oaths that you would swear to Caesar at the time. So they could they'd come to Jason and say, you didn't do this. You're harboring a fugitive. You're harboring those that, that are talking about a new king and a Messiah instead of reporting it. Verse 8, And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. So the people refers to a mob. And in a free city like Thessalonica, you actually could make some decisions as a group, as an assembly. And so the, the people are there concerned. The city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Just a, a, a little historical aside. Can, can I have fun for a minute? I, all this is fun. But I love it when different historical finds or archaeological finds prove God's word. So the, the word that is used for authorities there is politarches. And that, that's your Greek word for the day. And it is a, a, a rare word. And so 20, 30 years ago or more, scholars said the word Luke is using here wasn't used for, for hundreds of years later. See, Acts is false. Luke didn't really write it. It was written by someone else later. And, and they use this word as, as a proof of that. It, it's really interesting because now that we are doing a lot more archaeology and a lot more digs and things like that, a total of 70 inscriptions have now been discovered that make use of this term. All from the time 
of Acts. Over three-quarters of these are from Macedonia, and over half of those are from the city of Thessalonica. And what they found is it was a rare word, but it was common to Thessalonica. And so what some people tried to use to prove Luke wrong in writing Acts actually proves the historicity of Acts because Luke got it right. That was the city where they used that word. Sorry, this is my little nerd aside. And um, I just think that's really cool um, because we know that God's word is reliable and we know that it is true. So it goes on to say, when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And so they took bond money from Jason, not to get him out of jail, but basically the bond money was probably a guarantee that um, Paul and Silas wouldn't cause any more trouble. <laughs> I don't know what Jason was thinking, but he, he paid it. They let him go. I, I think he was thinking, ah, oh, I might lose this money <laughs> because Paul and Silas, yeah. They're going to keep preaching. I'm thinking about that because they stood and they supported Paul and Silas in the gospel. Jason is such a wonderful example here of a bit player, a side player that was willing to stand with Paul and Silas, that was willing to stand up for them, not only support them in giving them a place to stay in a, stay in a platform, but willing to go to bat for them, to take the hit for them. May we be that kind of people. At work, when someone says, hey, I'm a Christian, and someone else is ridiculing them, don't let them stand alone. Say something. Hey, I'm a Christian too. Enter into that conversation. Pray for each other to share the gospel. As in community groups, it's been wonderful when people will share, hey, I'm praying for this person, or I'm I'm trying to reach this person for the gospel. And we all come alongside and pray for them and then ask the next week, how did that go? That's coming alongside, standing with, and supporting them. Ask and encourage. I I think of, of Jason's charges of harboring and sympathizing with those sharing the gospel. May that be what we're guilty of. With our missionaries, as they visit as we write to them, as we send them two of our own to help them. These are ways we stand with and support each other, even at personal cost. And so we want to to stand in the gap for those sharing the gospel. Again, what an appropriate point to make on Memorial Day as we remember those that have stood in the gap for us, that have counted the cost for us. May we do the same thing for our missionaries and our brothers and sisters in Christ as they share the gospel. And so we want to improve our share. We have all all kinds of different ways we can do that out of that story with with Paul and how he shared the gospel in Thessalonica. And then we get to, to Berea and verses 10 through 15, I've titled Improve Your Receive. And I know this is bad grammar. Those of you that are English majors, Email each other or something. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But you'll remember the point. We need to improve our receive. How do we receive truth? How do we receive God's Word? And these two stories are almost identical in structure and in ordering, except for a key difference in verse 11, which is the whole point of the section. When you see that much similarity and you look for what's different, and, and Luke actually calls out what's different, we need to, to highlight that and say, okay, we need to learn from that. 
And so to improve our, our receive, there's two things we're going to talk about. Eagerly learning and receiving the word and then verifying the word. This is trust but verify. Verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Wash, rinse, repeat. Okay, so, so this, this should be familiar. Berea, by the way, was about 45 miles away. Um, a little bit further. It actually left the Via Ignatia and comes down, starts to come down this way. And it's in the mountains. And so it, or the hills, I should say. This is a picture of modern day Berea. This is very different from the seaport of Thessalonica. And it's a, a whole different town. But God led them there because this is where he wants the gospel to go next. And so they went to the Jewish synagogue. And then verse 11 is the key verse that I want to camp on for the rest of our time. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. And we see two parts of this, of how they received the word which will be A and B in your points. Letter A, grow by being eager to learn and receive the word. Grow by being eager to learn and receive the word. And so Paul and Silas end up in Berea. They jump right back into ministry. They're not moping that they got kicked out of the last place. And, and they start again, but they get a different response. And it's a beautiful response. And in verse 11 it says, Now these Jews were more noble... And, and that means more, more um, noble in how they thought. More open-minded, but not gullible. And so it, it's this idea of honorable and noble thinking. And so these, are, these people are interacting in a whole different way with them. And the first thing we see is that they were eagerly accepting the Word of God. They were eager to receive it even while they were judicious and refined in how they, they processed it, they came to learn. They were open and teachable. And so if we think of ourselves as we come on Sunday, as we come to Bible studies, as we come to read the Word, are we teachable? Are we open? Or, or do we come and sit there with our arms folded like, ah, I actually think I know more than Pastor Ron anyway. You, many of you probably do. I have no, no, no argument, but hopefully I'm teaching God's word, which knows more than all of us, which is more truth than all of us. But if we come with that kind of barrier set up, it's not an eagerness to receive the word and it will stunt our growth. It will keep us from letting the word form us. And so they came with an eagerness. The, the idea there is actively trying to hear or rushing forward. You know, so, so if something happens and everyone rushes toward that, right, that, that's the kind of eagerness that is here. Um, this, this weekend, we have um, Star Wars convention, right? Any of you go to Star Wars convention? I figured it out as I was trying to get home and avoid the Strawberry Festival. I went by the convention center. And almost got assaulted by a stormtrooper walking down the road. I'm like, that's weird. But at least he won't hit me. Um, and at that convention in the news we, we happened to hear of who some of the people were there Ewan McGregor was going to be there right Harrison Ford was going to be there now what happens when those people walk into a room at a convention like this 
that everyone just rushes to them. Susie even saw some of them being dropped off, and you have these big black Escalades and, and big guys, and, and yeah. Everyone rushes to them. You rush forward because you're eager to see them. You're eager to find out about it. Some of you, I bet, watched Obi-Wan Thursday night at midnight. Because there was an eagerness, a rushing to that. Take that same thought, that same eagerness, you're probably wondering why I'm talking Star Wars, and that is the approach they had to receiving the Word in Berea. Give us more, Paul. Tell us about the Word. Tell us about the Gospel. And there's an eagerness to receive it. And with that eagerness is a teachable spirit, like I said, and a trust of the Word of God. A trust of Paul's teaching of the Word. But at the same time, the second half of 11, these were were more noble than those of Thessalonica. They received the Word with all eagerness. And then the second thing, they examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so letter B, they grow by studying to verify what you hear. We grow by studying to verify what we hear. They were searchers. They verified the truth. And so this has to do with not being gullible in spirit. They would hear, they would receive it gladly, and then they would check it out you know, for the hour after the meeting and be done with it. No, daily, they kept in the Word to say, okay, was Paul right on this? Is that really what Isaiah 53 says, if, if that's where he was teaching? And, and they would dig in and chew on it and verify it. That is what it means to grow by studying the Word. You know, I, I do think of President Reagan in the 80s. Some of you remember this. And he's dealing with the arms race and nuclear talks with Soviet Union. And, and one of his favorite phrases that he started using was trust but verify. We'll trust that they're getting rid of their nuclear arms and we'll verify that those are being destroyed. Interestingly enough, just for your history buffs, that actually came from a Russian proverb. And someone familiar with, with the culture said, let me teach you a Russian proverb as you deal with the USSR. And so he would use their own proverb to, to what could they say at that point? But that's a little bit of what's happening here. They trusted Paul. They received his teaching. But then they verified it. Is that true? This is what our hearts are for you at Village. Every, I can speak for every one of the pastors and elders that teach, every one of the teachers. I, I pray that you don't take my word for it every week. I pray that you study Scripture, that you think of verses. Many of you will say, well, what about this? And what about this? I'm not sure I agree with you on this point. Those are good dialogues. If, if I was to stand here and not want you to verify with Scripture what I say, would that be a red flag? Yeah, a huge red flag. When, when anyone, I think of accountability, when we hold someone accountable, if, if someone doesn't want to be held accountable, that is a huge red flag that they're doing something that they don't want to be held accountable for. And so when we're transparent, when we're open, we welcome that. And, and I pray that that's always the culture at Village, to welcome that. This was wonderful to Paul. I don't see him getting upset. I don't see him saying, you don't trust me. No, he's saying, dig in deeper, verify, find out the truth. This is what accountability looks like. And so if we're to to dig into God's Word and grow by God's Word, don't just sit here. Check things out. Figure out if, if what we're saying is true. 
in any of the classes. I want to jump to the application of, of this. How can you verify? And just as we, we close in one minute or two, what are some tools you can use? Because if, I, if we really want you to do this, I want to give you some ways to do it. How can you begin to do this? And the foundation is always compare what you hear with the Bible, with the truth of the Bible. And so some ways to do that this week, read this text in several different versions. We, we just read it in ESV. Read it in New American Standard. Read it in NIV 84, the old NIV. Read it in, in some other translations. Add in there maybe the, um, the New Living, which is a translation rather than the old one, and, and just see what people are saying. That will help you understand some of the words. How many of you have study Bibles? That is such a valuable tool. Read your study Bible notes. And then look up the cross-references. Figure out how to use it. Enjoy it. Spend some time in your quiet time this week looking up the cross-references from these 15 verses. Dig in. Is this true? You know, something else I'd recommend this week is, is read First and Second Thessalonians. It will help to, to read what happened there and then to read the letters. They fit together. And it's like, wow, wow. You know, I encourage you to, to read a couple of readable commentaries. You know, there's some commentaries that you, you have to know Greek to, to read and they're, they're just challenging. I'm not recommending those. But something like the Tyndale commentaries that we have in our church library. The Acts one by I. Howard Marshall is by far one of my two favorite commentaries for the book of Acts. You could go this right after we're done and get it out of the library and be able to read it. My other favorite is New American Commentary on this series, Paul Hill, and he just does a wonderful job with Acts. Now, these are men, but you're, as you're researching, you're hearing other, other perspectives. You know, other commentaries, the Teach the Text series is really valuable for the layperson. Bible Knowledge Commentary, you can get it either a single or a two-volume set. Um, Life Application Commentary is a little more devotional, but Bruce Barton does a great job with Acts. Those are just some tools. I encourage you to check us out. Verify. As you do, you're going to dive deeper and enjoy God's Word. Maybe read some of these resources and discuss with a brother or sister in Christ. This is why we have community groups. Now, I, I hesitate to put community groups in because I think both of our community groups are going to be ending for the summer and taking a break and doing some other things. But in the fall, we'll start back up and one of the things we've been doing is digging into the text from Sunday and some side texts and, and asking questions. Well, is this what it meant or is this what it meant? That kind of coming together as community to study God's Word is so valuable. And I think I put in there, if you're still unsure what something means or unsure we got something right, ask us. We, I'm often pointing people to the source of what I got or, or why we were thinking that way. And sometimes it's, it's, it's right. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm not, let me think about that some more. But verse 11, and it's your memory verse for this week. Verse 11 is so key for how we receive. Eagerness and verification. That's when we grow in God's Word. Your growth cannot happen in an hour and a half Sunday morning alone. It can't. We're not that good. Your growth will happen when you 
in, in just immerse yourself in God's Word all week. When you dig in, when you have the skills, that is my passion for you. Be studiers, students of God word, God's Word. Know how to read it. You can read on in verse 13 through 15. I need to end. Um, you'll be shocked to know that some Jews came and agitated people up and stirred up the crowd, and they had to be sent off to another town. But, but this time, if you had no stoning, no prison, and no, um, no beating, then you won the pool. But there were false charges and being kicked out. But what an example of men that were willing to count the cost for the sake of the gospel and the example in Bria of a people that knew how to receive the word. Let's be Bereans and let's follow Paul and Silas's example. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for time in your word. Lord, I pray that it would percolate in our hearts and we would um, just chew on it this week and meditate on it and that your truths would come out as we continue to read and study your word. Lord, thank you for admonitions or examples of how to share better, how to share the gospel, how to improve that, but then also how to improve how we receive the word and let it change us and let it form us, Lord. I pray that we would be acting as your people and that you would be transforming us into your likeness. In your name, amen.